Yo, 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 it's Sports Decaf, and it is your boy, Thodic Fatul. What's up? It's your boy, Thodic Abdullah. What's poppin'? You already know. So, we already got some trade talks coming along. Mike Conley just got traded today. Uh, Pelicans is draft night tomorrow. What should the Pelicans do with the number four pick? Al Horford just declined from the Boston Celtics. How should the Mavs approach this situation going on with Al Horford? And then Michael Thomas, he's in talks of getting a big payday. But right now, we got to talk about the story of the day. Mike Conley just got traded to Utah for Jay Crowder, Grayson Allen, Kyle Korver, uh, tomorrow's night's pick, the 23rd pick, and a future 2020 pick. Um, how does this trade affect Utah's chances in the West? Well, I, I think it definitely this definitely makes Utah a better team, but I don't think it really affects them much in terms of, you know, getting a deep playoff run or things like that. Because, I mean, now you're carrying his $30 million salary. You know, you give up some guys with, you know, a lower amount of pay. and I mean, now you're putting yourself in a situation where there's not many big names you can sign, you know, picking up that contract. I mean, who knows what Utah's going to do from here. But, I mean, Mike Conley – you know, he's, he's towards the tail end of his career, and I, I just don't think, you know, this really puts Utah into a, you know, championship edge. I think it definitely makes them a better team, but I don't see any logic behind the trade. I don't know why a team like Utah would, you know, pull this off. Maybe to possibly better Donovan Mitchell as a, you know, player, but bringing in a guy with $30 million, you know, and it just it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't know why Utah pulled it off. They're not getting past the L.A. Lakers. I still don't see them getting past the Warriors, Rockets. I mean, they're just an above-average team. Maybe, you know, harder team to play in the playoffs, but I just don't see them making a deep run. I actually think this was a great trade for both sides. Um, For the, for the Jazz, you talked about how they're overpaying Mike Conley, and that is the case. He's a top-10 highest play, player in the league right now, but you look at Mike Conley – and it just comes down to the fact that they're in Utah. Who are you signing in Utah? They weren't going to get a D'Angelo Russell. They weren't going to get a Kawhi Leonard, a Kyrie Irving. So sometimes, and I, and I constantly have this argument, if you're in a small market, sometimes you're forced to overpay dudes or overpay free agents because that's the only way people are going to be able to come to your franchise. Now, Mike Conley, obviously they're not signing him, but Mike Conley being in their books, I just think it was a good idea. I think, you know, letting go of Jay Crowder, Kyle, uh, Kyle Korver, you definitely lost some shooting, but... The, the biggest issue that went on with the Utah Jazz last season was they didn't have another playmaker. Donovan Mitchell was forced to be a playmaker for that squad, and that's really what it came down to. Mike Conley, who just came off one of his best seasons, averaging 21. Um, I look at what he can do on the floor, space the floor, leadership as well, great defender. Donovan Mitchell is definitely going uh, to benefit from that. And also look at the Grizzlies now. I mean – my goodness, I think that was a great, great trade for the Grizzlies as well. I don't think any, any any single team lost that trade, but I look at what the Grizzlies have now. I mean, they got some shooters around, potentially John Morant, you know, with Jay Crowder, Kyle Korver, excuse me, Kyle Korver. Now, and they also got Grayson Allen, who is still, you know, heading into his second year. We don't know what's going to come from him, but then the big thing is that they have the 23rd pick on tomorrow's draft, and another thing is they have another future first. It's looking really bright in Memphis. I mean, now you got potentially John Morant, you got Jaron Jackson Jr., Grayson Allen, and then two other first-rounders. I mean, the sky's the, sky's the limit for that team. Yeah, I, I definitely like what Memphis did. I think they won that trade by, you know, a mile. You bring in a guy like Grayson Allen who, you know, if he had he left college his sophomore year, would have probably been a better player than he is now. But, you know, he decided to stay the four years. He was projected first round after his sophomore season. But, you know, he chose high, college basketball. He wanted to, you know, end out his career in – you know, style. He had a wonderful career. And uh, let's not forget, 
Grayson Allen, you know, a few games before the season ended, he had a 40-point outing against the Clippers. I mean, this guy can ball. I think, you know, him going out to Memphis, you know, maybe they can give him, they can possibly give him more minutes. He can, you know, really improve as a player in this league. And, you know, I like the adding of uh, Jay Crowder. You know, you add a defensive guy like that to your team. I mean, it's always it's always a good thing for your team. Then Kyle Korver, like you said, draft day, John Moran, 23rd pick. You can pick yourself up another solid player. But I like what Memphis did, you know, throughout the whole season. You know, kind of building this team around Jaron Jackson. You know, showing him, showing, him that, showing him that moving forward, this is your team. We're going to get you all the pieces that fit you. They shipped out Marc Gasol, you know, who congrats to him, ended up winning an NBA championship. Now they ship out Mike Conley. They've got a lot of cap room left on their hands. And I think, you know, they can possibly make a big run this free agency, especially with the cap space that they have left. I also look at the Utah Jazz, and, I mean, now they were a fifth seed last season. And, you know, they, they had a solid season, especially after the All-Star break, played tremendous basketball. Now with Mike Conley, I really do see this team as a potential top four team in the West. I wouldn't be surprised if you see a team like Utah really give teams trouble, especially with the Warriors coming down. They have a solid team. Ricky Rubios is still is still a player on the Utah Jazz. Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, who's one of the best defensive centers. Now what they have to do is be able to get guys in, some veterans, maybe sign some people for a veteran minimum that can shoot the basketball. I think they just lost two great shooters in Jay Crowder and in Kyle Korver. Keep in mind, these guys, those two players are extremely valuable assets for a championship contending team. So letting letting go of those two uh, lo- letting go of those two dudes, it might you know haunt them in the long run. But you get, I, I feel like I feel like they had to make this trade. Someone that can play make who averages twenty a game, they weren't going to get that in free agency. I think that's what it comes down to. They had to make this trade. I, I just feel they're a better team, yeah, but I just don't see any championships out of it. I think if you're going to bring in a guy with you know thirty million dollars of salary. I mean, you got to at least have a shot at an NBA championship, and I just don't see that with Utah. I think maybe it's a developmental thing for Donovan Mitchell, you know, bettering him as a, you know, a true point guard. Uh, you know, we've seen times, you know, throughout the season where he's not really consistent or, you know, he has bad nights, things like that. I think, you know, you bring in a guy like Mike Conley, can really help better his game, you know, leadership and things like that. So maybe that's what they're going after. They know they're not going to get rings out of it, but who knows? And they're still – they still have yet to move Ricky Rubio. They have no intentions of keeping him in their future plans. So we're just going to see how that plays out in free agency. But I think, you know, the whole total outcome of this, they are a better team. But I just don't think they're, you know, a contending team. I, well, the thing is, it's interesting in the West. Because, you know, obviously the Warriors are stepping down. And then the Lakers are, are, are a team that's coming up. And then we don't know what's going on in Houston. Houston is, is it's looking shaky right now. I know there were some false reports with Chris Paul and whatnot, but... It's still looking a little iffy in Houston, especially because they have no cap space in order to sign anyone. I don't know what they're gonna, what moves they're gonna make. Chris Paul is just getting older by the second. So I look at what Utah did, and I mean, by no means do I think they're a championship, you know, uh, contender or, or a favorite. But I definitely think they can make some more noise in the playoffs next season. I know I, I after losing in the first round last season to Houston in what it was like in five games and the way that they lost giving James Harden basically giving him the right hand the whole series I think Quinn Snyder has to make up for himself I think getting Mike Conley was a big addition I think possibly this team could make should or they could make it to the second round and I would not be surprised if this team could contend for a Western Conference Finals I mean I guess it, it just I think it's all going to come down to free agency what they can get out of Ricky Rubio and, you know, what – I mean, I don't even know if they still have a draft pick. They traded that too. 
So it, it's just it's it's all we gotta wait until you know June thirtieth once free agency starts and the moves that are being made. But I mean, we got draft day coming up this Thursday. So what should the New Orleans Pelicans do with their n- number four pick? So call me crazy, but. I think they should actually wait this number four pick out. And only because of one reason. Just one reason. I see all these uh, – there's there's a bunch of reports going on with, you know, the New York Knicks potentially wanting to draft Darius Garland, and they're uh, taking him as a serious contender to be the number three pick in the draft. And let that be the case. New York has a history of drafting dudes that we don't expect in the draft. Yeah. Christoph Porzingis, for example, or even Kevin Knox. A lot of people didn't expect New York to be drafting those dudes. Not saying it was a bad draft or a bad pick, excuse me, on New York's end, but sometimes they make the picks that we don't expect them to make. So I would not be surprised if they drafted Darius Garland. Now with the number four pick, I mean, that leaves R.J. Barrett. I think I think that's the only reason why I would, I, if I was the New Orleans Pelicans, it really depends on what the New York Knicks do. You just got to kind of wait it out, see what see what New York's doing with that number three pick. If it's looking like they're going to go go ahead and draft Darius Garland, then I mean now you got yourself matching up with R.J. Barrett, Zion Williamson. You got that you got that college duo back. You still you still have your young players in uh, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram. You still have your lockdown defender in Drew Holiday. I mean that team is ready you know to, to to wreak havoc. So I look at it like that. But I would not be surprised if they tried trading the number four pick. For a solid player, someone like Bradley Beal has been coming up in trade talks. I would not be surprised if they do something with that number four pick, or if they, even if they trade it before draft night. But draft night is tomorrow. I think if I'm the Pelicans, I kind of wait this this little situation out. You know, patience is the best thing, especially in the NBA. I think if you wait this out, see what New York does, you could still make it. You you could still make a tra- uh, excuse me a trade on draft night. I think you got to wait this one out. Yeah, I, I think you know don't show desperation. You have the number four pick. I mean, the worst that you get is Darius Garland, and who, he's a guy who it's just all about potential. I mean, the guy played five games in college until suffering a knee injury. It, it's just, you know, you don't, you don't want to give up more than what you don't have to. I, I think, you know, if I'm the Pelicans, I'm waiting. Regardless who you get at the number four pick, you're going to get you a solid player. I know you want R.J. Barrett, who I think is going to have, you know, possibly the best career out of everyone in this draft. He's the most complete guy. You know, you want to surround him with Zion Williamson. But if there's still a shot that you can pull R.J. Barrett off, you know, without trading your draft pick, I mean, just wait it out. I mean, worst comes to worst. I mean, after draft day, you go ahead and implement a trade, throw in an extra guy, and then you get desperate. But showing desperation early has shown, you know, signs of defeat when it comes to, you know, making trades. I mean, it happened with the L.A. Lakers. You know, they had to pretty much pull the plug on that team. A lot of unhappy guys. Because they showed desperation early on in the season, and it, things just didn't go their way. So I think you just wait it out, wait for draft day. I mean, you never know what can happen. They drank, they drafted Frank Nilakina, the what was it, the fifth pick? It was the eighth pick. Eighth pick, and I mean, they're, now they're looking to trade this guy for a second round pick. So I mean, New York has shown, you know, always signs of making, you know, the worst decisions, you know, throughout the years, and I think it can be another one heading into this draft thing is with with the pelicans is that i don't expect them to draft darius garland i just don't i think that they're guard heavy and they're set in the guard position drew holiday is a solidified one or two and lonzo ball we all know about him they're set in the guard position i would not be surprised if they get themselves someone like deandre hunter uh someone like jared culver someone someone along those lines who's a bigger man 
Um, you know, obviously you just lost Anthony Davis, your superstar franchise player who was what their center listed as their power forward slash center for that team. I would not be surprised if they got someone like DeAndre Hunter, someone that that could kind of fill in that role because right now it's looking like Julius Randle's what well, Julius Randle has just opted out. Uh, right now, their starting center projected for right now, as of today, is Jaleel Okafor. And I know he had a lot. He he had a spurt of of good games, but I just uh, I I don't trust in Jaleel Okafor that much. I don't think he's an 82 game. Yeah, yeah I, I, guy. exactly. So I think I think getting someone that could fill the position would be great. Another young player who's a number four pick. That's tremendous. The thing is about this draft is that the top three are solidified great players, and I, I think I think we can agree on that. But when it, when it, it comes down to this, number four through ten can all become solid players. They're not going to become superstars, such as the 2017 draft or even the 2018 draft that we just saw. But And back to that, the 2017 draft, you saw a lot of players such as Dennis Smith Jr. or, you know, such as a, a De'Aaron Fox number five pick or a, a, a Dennis Smith Jr. at a number nine. We expected these guys to be great. De'Aaron Fox is looking like the best, best point guard in that draft. But the thing is about this draft is I'm just not sure if the number eight pick, for example, will, will become the best player in that draft I think he'll become a solid player, such as a Bull Bull, such as a Jared Culver. But I think with the number four pick, they definitely got to choose someone that can fit the team. If, if, if granted, you know, um, New York drafts R.J. Barrett. Yeah, which I, I think New York, you'd be stupid not to draft him. I think, you know, R.J. Barrett, if it wasn't for the Zion Williamson hype, I mean, he could be potentially the number one pick. But, I mean, after the season, John Morant had overall, you know, points, rebounds, assists. I mean, he showed he's a complete player. He's ready to go. He's athletic. He has a 40-plus inch vertical. I mean, the guy can ball. So, you know, you never want to give up on that type of talent. You know, but in terms of, you know, complete game, I think R.J. Barrett's the most complete guy in this draft. I think he's going to be the best player in this draft, in my opinion. And, I mean, I just still had him as, you know, the best player, of, in my opinion, of college basketball. I think Zion Williamson, you know, his size really gave him the advantage against, you know, these smaller college players. And I think in the NBA, you know, guys are much bigger. It's going to be a little harder time for him. But with R.J. Barrett, I mean, his game is more complete. You know, he can do more than just use his strength to his advantage. I think he's, you know, a knockdown shooter. You know, he can play defense. I mean, he can just do it all. So I think that's what makes R.J. Barrett special. And to see, you know, New Orleans try to team him up with Zion Williamson, you know, they've already got the chemistry there. I think it's, it's a smart thing to do, but just don't get desperate. And the thing is, I, I, I disagree. I think, I think John Morant might end up becoming the best pro out of that draft. I think the way the intangibles that he has, leading that, uh, excuse me, that Murray State team, the athleticism that he possesses, the way that he can shoot the basketball, the, his vision that he possesses. I mean, he, I feel like John Morant is a complete package. And don't no disrespect to RJ. I think RJ is a great, phenomenal player. And I keep saying this. If, if someone was to tell me that he becomes a six-time All-Star, I would not be surprised. I think John Morant is someone that he kind of reminds me. Don't um, And do not, do not bash me for this. But in a way, he kind of reminds me of kind of what Russell Westbrook did in his college days. And Russell Westbrook is someone who kind of accepted Oklahoma City. He's he's the man for OKC, and he's and he's definitely did a did a great job for OKC. I could see John Morant doing something like that for, for Memphis, being that superstar player for Memphis, because making that his franchise. I I would not be surprised if John Morant embraces Memphis, and Memphis is a is always known as a tough team. John Morant seems like that tough, hard nosed player. I think I think it goes well together. Yeah, I think he's just he's definitely gonna have a long tenure in Memphis. I don't think it's gonna be him being unhappy and leaving after his rookie contract. He's going to be there for 10 to 15 years to come. Granted, if he can stay healthy, you know, injuries just seem to always ruin a player's career, especially with a guy of that, you know, high athleticism. You know, we just 
we just pray he stays healthy, has a good career. And, I mean, that's the only thing that I think can stop him. I think, you know, he's got the athleticism. He's going to be a phenomenal player. But I just feel like R.J. Barrett is just one of those guys who are, you know, it's just different with R.J. Barrett. I mean, he doesn't have to rely on his, his athleticism to be great, and I think John Morant does. The thing is about R.J. Barrett is when watching him, especially in, in games that like that Michigan State game or the game against Gonzaga, I mean, he just he has to switch. He has to have more things in his bag. And I'm not saying he cannot dribble or he has no dribble moves, but it looked like he had that one go-to move. And sometimes, especially if you're facing a viable defender, it's just not going to go your way. A left hezzy, and he always puts his head down, puts his shoulder into the defender, especially with college basketball. Floors are so much compacted. In the NBA, obviously, you're going to have more space, but you're also going to have someone such as Rudy Gobert or a Mo Bamba come in to help and block the shot. R.J. Barrett definitely has to improve, especially on taking his man one-to-one. I think R.J. Barrett is a phenomenal player. I think he, I think he's going to average around 17 a game. But I think especially when, when it comes time to, hey, I need a bucket, he's got to have more in his arsenal. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree on that. I mean, we, we both can agree for the most part. John Morant, R.J. Barrett are going to be great players. And, I mean, that fourth pick, I think it's just they got, they got to wait on it. You, you don't want to just throw in a gamble. It's too early. But uh, anyways – we're going to talk about, you know, more free agency. Al Horford has declined his $30 million player option. It looked like as if he was going to reach a deal with the Celtics. But according to news yesterday, that's not happening. He, he has plans to reach a four-year max elsewhere. But, you know, our very own Dallas Mavericks are going to this free agency high. So should the Dallas Mavericks give him a long-term deal? Um, I think it really depends on if they can strike out or if they do strike out with the bigger names. I think I would first of all number 1 I would not be I would not be angry if we got Al Horford in free agency, especially even with the amount of money that he's that he's asking for. I think getting Al Horford would make would be tremendous for this Mavericks team. But number 1, I don't think that should be our number 1 priority. I think that's what it comes down to. Getting someone like a D'Angelo Russell, uh getting someone like a Julius Randle possibly, a Vucevic, someone like that, I think that should be our number 1 priority as of now. It's really looking like the bigger name free agents, we know where they're, where they're going. Klay Thompson is most likely resigning. Kevin Durant, it's really between Golden State and New York. Kyrie Irving, 75% and even maybe 90% now. It's looking like he's going to Brooklyn. There's a little speculation maybe for L.A. I mean, other than that, it's really, like, it's really looking like the Mavs are in play for the, the, the middle tier, if I can say. Someone like a Patrick Beverly, a Chris Middleton, uh, like I said, a D'Angelo Russell, Al Horford's definitely in the name right now. Maybe even a Brooke Lopez. I think I would not be disappointed if the Mavs gave someone like Al Horford a long-term deal. I think that he's someone who has the credentials for it. Every single team he's been on, they've won. They've made it to the playoffs. I think Al Horford is great for this Mavericks team. He's a great defender, can shoot the basketball, can post up, and he's not selfish. He's a, a solid passer. He does everything that you need him to do, especially in today's modern era, and he would, he would be a great fit with Porzingis. I think this is a, a, a great acquisition if we were to get him. Other than that, I mean, I just don't think he should be our number one priority, but I would, I, I definitely, I, I wouldn't be mad if the Mavs gave him a long-term deal. Yeah, I wouldn't get mad if, you know, we, that's what we end up with. You know, we tried everything, but as long as we try. Because I feel like, you know, Julius Randle, I mean, if anything, we're going to get the guy cheap. Any team that gets Julius Randle, this season was a statement season showing him, you know, when I'm healthy, I'm 100%, this is what I can do. I mean, he had a couple 40-point games. The guy showed he was, you know, one can argue second or third best player on that Pelicans team. You know, you can flip-flop some games between him and Drew Holiday. 
But, I mean, his toughness throughout the whole season, he's getting $9 million this season, averaging, you know, 21, 8, and 5. I mean, not many guys average 28 and 5 in the league. And if they do, they're getting 20 plus million a year. I mean, a guy like Julius Randle, if you can snag him for around the 12 to $15 million range, that's a steal, if you ask me. I, I, don't, I don't think he's getting that, though. I don't think Julius Randle is going to be taking that 12 to 15. I think he's in, I think he's in for a big payday, especially oh, yeah. with his age. Yeah, but I, I just feel like, you know, he's, what, 25 years old, 24 years old. I mean, he opted out of a $9 million deal. This was pretty much a statement deal. I think we can maybe steal him for 15 because I think he's one of those undershadowed guys, overshadowed guys who, you know, no one's really paying attention to. L.A. gave up on him early. New Orleans really didn't give him what he deserved. So, I mean, he pretty much – it was just a one-year statement year. I think, you know, possibly, you know, he is from Dallas, Texas. We've seen a lot of players, you know, take a hometown pay cut. I mean, maybe that is what Julius Randle does. I think he should be one of our top priorities. But yet again, if we can still land the Al Horford type of guy, we got Christoph Porzingis coming back from, you know, injury. Al Horford's a guy who can, who can, you know, he has court vision. He has a high IQ at the center position. You know, a guy like Porzingis to, you know, learn a couple things from him, you know, a couple one or twos. You know, become a, a little bit of a passer at the center position. This can make him a much deadly player, and this can make us a scary team to watch in the next few years. One thing about Julius Randle is that I, I first of all, I'm not against Mavericks getting Julius Randle. I think that's a great acquisition, but I'm worried about one thing, and it's, and it's on defense. Julius Randle, if I'm not mistaken, is what like six, six nine, six ten, maybe on a good day. Yeah. Um, defensively, I just, I mean, Porzingis is is he, he's a great shot blocker. But as a as a defense, like, would you want Kristaps Porzingis guarding Joel Embiid, for example? Probably not. Yeah. You, you don't. You really don't want to do that because Joel Embiid will take his lunch money. That's what it comes down to. Someone Damn, like how it's like that. It, it's it's like that. Damn. It's, come on, Joel Embiid's a monster. But thing is about thing is about Julius Randle and and Kristaps Porzingis offensively, they bring another element to the game. I mean, those guys. I mean, Julius Randle, great slasher, someone who can give you. A, a multitude of points in the paint, and then if you want to double Julius Randle, he gonna give you he gonna give you 15 plus. You want to double him? Kristaps Porzingis open for three. Lucas open for three. A lot of people are open for three. I get that. Defensively though, I just it, it worries me just a little bit. I think some having someone like Al Horford who's switchable. I don't think I don't think he's a great switchable center, but I think he's switchable enough to to guard players, especially off the pick and roll. I think he's I think that's a great acquisition. He could stretch the floor. He's a kind of a he, a little bit of a traditional center. And I, I, he kind of had the same role as Mike, as Marcus all did with the, with the Toronto Raptors as a facilitator was stretch, was stretching the floor and played great defense. I think I think getting someone like Al Horford is a great uh, great acquisition. And I'm just I'm just kind of worried if we got Julius Randle, how would it affect us on the defensive end? I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, I agree, but I just feel like Julius Randle. He's one of those you know guys who you know brings the physicality night in night out. And I think you know a lot of centers. They don't really like to go after a guy that physical. I mean, it can really bang him up late in the game. I think a guy like Joel Embiid, who's real injury prone, he's shown to, you know, be more of a mid-range guy. He could dominate in the paint, but it just, I mean, he just can't do it over an 82-game season. You know, we, we see that Joel Embiid more into the playoffs, and I think it wouldn't be a threat. You know, we're in the West, they're in the East. We wouldn't have to worry about that, you know, if, you know, worst-case scenario, we both make it to the NBA Finals. But what are the odds at that? I think Joel Embiid would be the only worry. I think in the West, you know, you've got Rudy Gobert, who's not really an offensive center in the league. And, I mean, Clint Capella, who's shown he can get shut down by a six foot ten, you know, guard, you know, power forward in the league, which he got shut down by Kevin Durant, who's, you know, a six foot ten small forward, real athletic, but 
that shouldn't be happening if you're a guy like Clint Capella. And I think, you know, just for our chances and the odds of, you know, a mismatch or things like that is not likely because we don't we don't have a Joel Embiid, you know, in the West. So there's I feel like Well, we I, I get that, but the thing is it's it's not really it's not really focused on on regular season, and mm-hmm. I and I get that Joel Embiid's in the East, but especially in the playoffs, whenever a lot of teams want to play small ball, like look at Clint Capella. Clint Capella got basically he basically got exposed during that Warriors series. Yeah. wasn't able to switch, and he that's can't what, do anything off the screen. He couldn't do anything off the screen, and that's or, why you. Or if he's not off the screen, right? yeah, and, and 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 you saw someone like Kevon Looney play a lot of minutes because Demarcus Cousins was getting exposed as well. Yeah. So having someone like that, I think you know, and Julie, uh, excuse me. Julius Randle and Chris Porzingis, I think they're viable, switchable op- options. But I think I think when it comes down to it, if you have someone like like Nikola Jokic, for example, who wants to start going, if, they, if 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 any team wants to go down low, I'm just worried about our rim protection, especially with Julius Randle and Chris Porzingis. But Chris Porzingis is a is, he is a great he is a good shot blocker. But I th- I feel like you just uh, I don't know I just I feel like you need two of those and and Julius Randle defensively is not the best option for the Mavs, but. Let me let me take this back. I would not mind getting Julius Randle. I think that's a great option for the Mavs. I'm just worried about defense. That's it. I mean, I can agree. He's a little undersized, but I just feel like overall it'd be a good pick. You know what he brings offensively. I mean, he's a dog on defense. It's just his size. You know, he's a little smaller. But I mean, we'll just have to see what Mavs get in free agency. Because at this point, I mean, I'm just hoping we get something. I mean, we've shown throughout the years we target these big names and we just seem to land nothing in the long run. I mean, now we've got a rookie who's heading into his second year, Luka Doncic. We've got Porzingis coming back from injury. We've got to land at least one big name because if we get nothing going these next three to four years, I mean, Luka, the chance of him signing a long-term is just going to diminish from there. You know, just hopefully we can do what we can to keep him. No doubt about it. But, I mean, speaking of keeping him, I mean, it's looking like the Saints are going to give Michael Thomas a huge payday. It's going to end up making him one of the highest paid receivers in the NFL. So, does Michael Thomas is, – is he worthy of this big payday? Does he deserve it? Well, the way I look at it is if, you know – I mean, Michael Thomas, his first year in the league, his rookie year, he received for 1,100-plus yards, nine touchdowns. And he was in the top ten in receiving. Second year – you know, 1,200-plus yards, five touchdowns, not bad. You know, second-year wide receiver. Third year, 1,400 yards, nine touchdowns, solidified himself as a, you know, top five, top ten receiver in the league. I mean, to do this consistently three straight years, I, I just feel like, you know, if you're in that range, if you're putting up numbers like you are a top five receiver, top ten receiver in the league, and you're doing this consistently on, like, a night-in, night-out basis, you're doing it year after year after year. I mean, so be it. You deserve whatever money's coming at you. I mean, if that's you being the highest paid player at your position, I mean, you go ahead and get your bag. I mean, not a lot of guys we, we see come in as a rookie, you know, a thousand receiving yards. Michael Thomas did that. I mean, last year he showed he was one of the most unstoppable receivers in the league. I mean, he's proven himself night in, night out. You know, he's been healthy, healthy three years. I mean, I think he it's well-deserved. I think he deserves every dollar he's getting. I don't think you necessarily have to be the best player at a certain position to, you know, get the highest payday. I think as long as you, you know, you come in night out, show that you're a big part of a team's success and a big reason why a team's winning and, you know, you're showing that your attributes on the football field are showing on the stat sheet. I think, you know, if the payday comes your way, no one can say nothing. I mean, Michael Thomas... He deserves every penny coming his way. 
And, I mean, he's he's done a lot for that New Orleans team this year. No, I agree with you. I think he deserves that big payday. And you look at his numbers, especially last year, he was top six. He was a sixth best receiver in terms of yards. I mean, the the nine touchdowns he had, 125 uh, uh, receptions, excuse me. Michael Thompson is deserving of this payday. And, I, and one thing that we don't talk about, especially with these diva receivers, is that Michael Thomas is probably one of the most humble receivers in the NFL. What he does for that New Orleans community, the tribute that he made for, for a former Saints receiver, I mean, that's tremendous. I think Michael Thomas is deserving of that money. I think that, you know, he played a big part for the Saints, you know, making those runs that they did, especially in the playoffs. Michael Thomas is someone who's worthy of this, of this big payday. And the thing is about the NFL is that Whenever someone gets paid, especially nowadays, they're going to automatically become the most highest paid at their position because this salary cap is just it's, it's constantly, constantly rising. And, and, that, and that's what it comes down to. Just a few years ago, you saw, you, you saw multiple QBs become the highest paid QB in their, in their position because that's just how, that's how the salary cap is rising. Someone like Michael Thomas, is, should he be the, best, the highest paid receiver in the NFL? Maybe not necessarily, but is he deserving of what of all the money that he's going to get? Yeah, because you look at someone like Julio Jones, for example. Julio Jones is about to get an extension as well. He's going to probably going to probably going to get become the highest paid receiver in the NFL, uh, upping Michael Thomas whenever he gets his extension. So, I, I think Michael Thomas is ex- is extremely deserving of the big of the big payday, no doubt. Oh, yeah, about it. definitely for a guy who's entering his prime. I mean, New Orleans has shown that you know they can do a lot with Michael Thomas. He's a big key piece if they want to go. And you know, enter any shot at a Super Bowl. I mean, it's it starts with Michael Thomas, it starts with Drew Brees, and I think you know you just go on from there. I think you know they shouldn't they shouldn't let him walk away. I think you gotta do whatever you can to keep him. I mean, if he's not the highest paid receiver in the league, at least have him in the range of the highest paid receiver in the league. I mean, if Odell Beckham's, I mean, no knock to Odell Beckham. I think if healthy, hundred percent. I think he's you know one or two you know, best receiver in the league or, you know, or even three, you know, you got Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, maybe Odell Beckham, if healthy, but for Odell wait, Beckham, wait, wait, where do you, where do you put DeAndre Hopkins at kind, sir? No, if healthy, Odell Beckham's definitely number three. So, you, so oh, okay. I have DeAndre Hopkins ahead of him right now. Oh, okay. I, I, yeah, got, yeah. I got DeAndre Hopkins as my number one. I'm not going to uh, lie to you. I over think, AB and Julio. I think, I think AB had a, had a down year. I think Julio is a viable option. I think it's really down between Julio and Deon, DeAndre Hopkins right now for me. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I just got heartburn. Uh, I mean, you can have heartburn, but Antonio Brown was in top 10. This, he was, he was the number yeah, one. Yeah. But I mean, you got to look at, he had a guy like Juju who's had a phenomenal year and Antonio Brown, let's keep in mind, he was getting doubled all season. No, long. he was, no, he was don't, but DeAndre Hopkins, uh, what, how many jobs has he had? He, I think he had what 300, 330 something, uh, uh, excuse me, receptions, only like five drops. It was around yeah. that area. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins, and he's second in yards, uh, excuse me, overall yards, uh, touchdowns. Looking at that as well, he's top top five in touchdowns in terms of the receiving position. I, I got DeAndre Hopkins as my top two. That's just me. That's just me. Th- that that's just you. But yeah. I just feel like Antonio Brown has been has been doing this for five, six years straight. Mm-hmm. No. DeAndre Hopkins has been doing this for you know the last two, three years. I think it's Fair still enough. too soon to put him over AB. I mean, if you want to put him over AB, I mean, he's still a phenomenal receiver, but yeah. I think you got to show love to the brother, man. I mean, even after, I mean, he, he is sort of a diva, but I think overall AB is no joke when he's on that football field. But anyways, it is what it is. You know, we agree, we disagree. It's part of life, but sure. you did give me heartburn. I'll take you, know you to a doctor after. I got you. All I'll right, take bet. you to a doctor. Bet, bet. Luckily, I got insurance. <laughs> oh, okay, then. All right, then. Are we chilling? Yeah, we're we good, then. Anyways, 
That's about it. Yeah. Sports decap. You know, we did what we did. It's your boy Tariq Abdullah. It's your boy Tariq Fatou. We out.